Jamie, thank you. We are very close uh, to having the opportunity to open up a school for the performing arts in our basement. Um, and that is a unique possibility that has come our way. And you be praying about that, you'll be hearing more about that in the days ahead. And so uh, a lot of wonderful opportunities ahead for us. We're going to have a, uh, a baptism next week, and I thought uh, a week ahead of a baptism, this would certainly be the way to begin a service. Uh, about baptism in my beliefs. 
Um, I specifically believe that the Greek word baptizo means immerse, and we'll see why. But I have friends that have been sprinkled that are just as Christian as I am, so I don't want to make them feel bad by any means whatsoever. Uh, but let me give you a few illustrations. Matthew chapter 3, verse 6 uh, is talking about John the Baptist. Um, and we see John fully immersing people in the River Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sin. So he found a lot of water. He found a river so that it could have total immersion in, in deep water. Some of you, perhaps, anybody in here been baptized in the River Jordan? Some people will do that on, on, on trips to the Holy Land. I have friends that have done that. John 3, 23, we see that John's looking again for water, deep water, to immerse. It says, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was abundant there. They needed a bunch of it. And people kept coming and were being baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 38, we see Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, and we see they went down into the water. He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. So there's no doubt that much of the early baptism, if not all of it, was through immersion. But sometimes in the 12th century, and I'm not sure exactly why, some churches adopted sprinkling, our christening, and some great cathedrals before, built before this time had baptismals for immersion. And some things changed in the 12th century. Uh, baptism, as you know, is an object lesson. Uh, when I talk to children about baptism, I always show them my wedding ring and I say, what is that? And I use that as a symbol of marriage and a way I identify with marriage. And I say baptism, too, is a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward decision. Uh, so it's an object lesson. When you read scripture, you know that God likes to teach through symbols and pictures and illustrations and parables and analogy. So baptism is an object lesson, uh, just like the animal sacrifice was. Uh, for example, when, when a child, a little child would go to the temple with their mother and father and see all those animals being sacrificed, and you know how children love animals, they would have to ask a lot of questions. Why did they do that? And the father would have an opportunity, or the mother, to talk about sin and death and sacrifice and substitution. If you've been to baptism with a young child, you spent the rest of the day explaining to that child, haven't you, what in the world that was all about. Because they're so full of questions. So it's a great object lesson. Now, people wonder about Old Testament baptism. Uh, and even the baptism of John the baptizer. Because, well, this is before the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. So why'd they do that? And, and what did that mean? Uh, in the Old Testament times... The people of Israel, uh, God's chosen people, were chosen to spread the message of Yahweh all across the world. And on occasion, people from other nations who were not Jewish, they were called Gentiles, they would want to worship Yahweh God. And so they'd want to become a Jew, and while that was to convert, and racially, obviously, that's impossible, but it was possible with a religious uh, or, or spiritual in a religious or spiritual way. In order for a Gentile to do that, uh, they were then called a proselyte, you've heard that word. There was a ceremony that, that was developed to help them identify. The proselyte ceremony had three parts, called Mela, Tabela, and Torbet. Mela was circumcision. Uh, no matter how old the men were, uh, they were circumcised. Why? Uh, remember we talked earlier about uh, baptism and animal sacrifice being an object lesson, then that's an object lesson. 
to illustrate that man was sinful at the very nature level. And so a Gentile was admitting his root sinfulness. And so that ceremony took place. The second stage of the ceremony, uh, Tabella, uh, was immersion into water, baptism. Uh, and again, this was before Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, so why in the world did they do that? This was done to show that the Gentile, which was really a form of burial, was dead to the Gentile world. The old life apart from God, apart from the promises of God, was gone. And now there's a new person with a new hope and a new family and a new relationship with God. So that's what that baptism was. The third step, Corbin, was an animal sacrifice where the blood of the animal was sprinkled on the proselyte, symbolizing that he needed cleansing from his daily sins. So that's much of what happened in the Old Testament. Uh, John the Baptist uh, was baptizing while Christ was still alive, again before the death and burial and resurrection. So, so what's that about? Look at Luke 3, 1 to 6. It says, it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor, and Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Aturia and Trachonitis. Uh, Lysanias was ruler over Abilene, and Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So washing, if you will. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straight and the rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. It's interesting if you notice in the section of Scripture where the people came from. They were from Jerusalem and Judea and all over the Jordan Valley. John was largely preaching to the Jewish people. And this had to be very humbling as baptism is to the Jewish people. Uh, in the mind of the Jew, they were a child of the covenant. And they didn't need to be baptized into the faith that they're already a part of. But what's happening here is that these who are baptized are admitting that though they were Jewish and had been part of the covenant, they were disobedient and ungodly and sinful and they needed to be cleansed or washed. And so they were baptized and that's what John is doing. One day John was baptizing as he was prone to do and something very unusual happened. Matthew 3 beginning with verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to John in Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, immersion, up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. So here Jesus is himself identifying with baptism. Uh, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling in the Jordan River. Look at Luke 12, verse 50. This is interesting to me. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Jesus is headed to the cross, and here on his way to the cross, he uses the word baptism, and that's interesting. 
An interesting choice of words. I don't know why he didn't say, or many wonder why he didn't say, I have a death to undergo, or I have a crucifixion to undergo, I have a sacrifice to undergo. But he said this to help identify, uh, to help us identify with him and what it means, this total immersion, and I'm not talking about water now, but this total identification that we have with Jesus that our whole life is put into our connection to him. Uh, to see that as an object lesson. Jesus did this again in Mark chapter 10, verse 38, in response to a question by James and John. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Talk about the crucifixion coming on the way. So back to the Jordan River. When Jesus said John must baptize him to fulfill all righteousness, he was talking about the great baptism yet to come at the cross. So again, it was prophecy. By the way, that's another compelling reason why baptism is, seems to be immersion. It's hard for anything else to fit because you're totally involved in this. Knowing that about baptism, how it helps us to identify, it helps me better understand some verses like Colossians 2.12. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead, so you identify. Romans 6, 3-4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. So again, it's saying that we identify. Here's maybe the most asked question about baptism. You've probably dealt with this long, long ago, but some ask, is baptism necessary for your salvation? Uh, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? Some teach that you must, but I think they're wrong. And again, I have to look at scripture. And let me show you the scripture that, that helps me the most. The first place I go is the thief on the cross. Uh, Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 39. Look at this. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't think there was a baptism between verse 42 and verse 43. There was a promise of eternal life that came through a profession of faith, and that's how it came to me. Luke chapter 7 also tells a story of a woman who encountered Jesus. And Jesus said her faith had made her whole. She was complete now. And no baptism yet had taken place in her life. A woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears to dry them with her hair. She continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. And Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon said, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she's not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, and she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven, loves little. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that he can even forgive sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. You go in peace. And as far as we know, nothing with water occurred at that moment. I've had the privilege of being with several people in the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs and two strikes who were on their deathbed. And I've seen several people come to Christ on their deathbed. And I've never had the opportunity to say, now hold up, before you take your last breath, let's go find some water. I've not needed to do that, not felt compelled to do that. And I look forward to seeing those friends in heaven. A friend of mine became a Christian in his living room when he was 99 and a half years old. Can you imagine baptizing a 99 and a half year old man? There's some lawyers in this room that would highly advise against me trying something <laughs> just like that. I'd have killed him. And he's in heaven. He died before his 100th birthday. The pastor uh, at the Hopewell Baptist Church, two pastors before me named Marcus McFall, went to a church in Columbus, Indiana. And this is true, and it was Easter. And they were going to have a baptism service before church on Easter. And they were in the back getting ready. And a man who was to be baptized dropped dead in the robe room before he could be baptized. Can you imagine him getting to heaven and somebody saying, oh, you made it home, but you got really close. If you'd have just died in three minutes. I don't see that happening. I don't want to belittle baptism. It's important, and it's something that I need to do to be obedient, and yet it is not to me what saves me. It's Jesus Christ that saves me. So let me wrap this up. Baptism is an act of identification, an act also of obedience. We need to all live in such a way to make people want to identify with our Heavenly Father through our way we live because we've been so immersed into God and into the family of God. I was baptized right up here with several of you, gosh, a long time ago. And I remember my father is the one who baptized me. And my brother Don would tell you the same thing. Uh, because he lived it, I wanted to identify with what he had. And I hope people can say that about you, and I 